We'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. In an environment of health disparities amplified by a national pandemic, racial injustice, Providence is committed to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in our communities, workplaces, schools, and more. What happens now? How do we cope? What's the impact on our overall health and mental wellness? The Culture of Health will focus on what the future of healthcare looks like in today's changing culture. Together, we will discuss how we turn the conversation of culture and healthcare into lasting and meaningful action. Welcome to our virtual town hall. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Josh Cutler. Before we start, I want to thank Providence for bringing all of these amazing voices together. And thank you to Dash Radio for giving us a platform. Let's meet our panelists. Why don't we start with you, Veronica? Hi, my name is Veronica Pomee. I am a model, uh, an entrepreneur, and an activist. And we'll go to Kat. Hi, guys. I am Kat Zingano. I'm a professional MMA fighter. Uh, instructor and a mother. And Dia? Hey everybody, it's Dia, also known as Dia Direct. I am a life coach. I'm a producer and um, and a lot of dashes in between there, but happy to be here. Thanks Dia. Um, and Dr. Rodriguez. Hi everyone, um, I'm Dr. Daniel Rodriguez, um, or some of my younger patients call me Dr. Danny. Um, I am a licensed clinical psychologist um, and I work for uh, Providence Medical Group in the Oregon region, um, in Sherwood Clinic specifically. I'm so uh, excited to be having this conversation with you all. I'm again, Josh Cutler. I'm a licensed clinical social worker with Providence. Um, and as COVID-19 continues to spread, a rise in mental health crises due to various stressors, including economic issues and uncertainty about the future, and isolation pose a particular threat to our communities. In addition to the physical toll of COVID-19, the pandemic has an equally troubling mental health component, causing anxiety and depression among many other related problems. Emotional stressors like these can also affect a person's immune system, impairing their ability to ward off infections and other illnesses. Thus, it is as important as ever to address each individual's mental health as a whole part of their health when considering the COVID-19 vaccine options. So this town hall today will focus on how the pandemic has been affecting people's mental health, potential fears and or reasons for hesitation with getting the vaccine and the hope that the vaccines could offer. The panel will allow uh, participants to discuss the viewpoints openly and honestly. And thank you all for being here. Thank you. So it's been exactly one year this month since the first um, the time of the first COVID lockdown, which is amazing to me that we've been in this for a year. Um, so whether or not that has affected your physical health, let's talk about how it's been for you on an emotional or mental health level. In other words, how are you really? So Kat, let's start with you. Um, so I, over the years have, I've been through a lot, you know, in, uh, just life and, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to have resources and seek resources and, um, try to figure out the things that I need to do in order to be my best and my happiest. And one thing that I figured out was to be active physically, you know, to sweat, to get my endorphins going, to have some kind of physical outlet where I'm like creating and building. And for me, that looks like martial arts. So that's going and hitting mitts. That's going to a jujitsu class and, um, you know, and go, going toe to toe with people that have the same amount of will that I do for the day, uh, uh, doing boxing, doing, um, uh, lifting weights, 
strength and conditioning, all of that stuff. Um, and all of those were shut down. Um, it was something that, uh, at first I, you know, I, I felt a, like a little relief because it was like this forced break and no coaches could call me and tell me to get off my butt and go do something and put down the Cheetos. Like I, I literally, did, I didn't have to tell anybody no, cause no one could ask anything of me. So, um, you know, but after a few weeks of that, it really started to creep up. And I was like, I, I don't feel good. Like for a while, I was happy to be with my own thoughts, you know, and, and to just be thinking about things that I know um, that I have been able to use distractions from thinking about. And I was like, cool, well, I needed this time with myself. That's good. But then there was like, okay, that's enough for you. I need to do something. So, um, you know, even going on walks or looking out the window or trying to get some uh, fresh air felt like such a luxury. Um, and I felt happy to be a natural introvert. And I was, I was having a rough time watching people that were definitely more extroverted than me having a harder time that I didn't understand because I do like my alone time. Um, and uh, that, that it just made me scared for people. You know, it made me scared for like my, my kid, I have a 14 year old boy and they need other kids, you know, they need to be running around and saying their, their jokes and um, burning off their energy. And like, you're at a different energy levels when you're 38 and you have a 14 year old and they're going through puberty. And uh, my boy's getting ready to be a freshman in high school, which is also a huge milestone. So it was a, a lot of letdowns, a lot of um, things not going as expected. There's, um, you know, lots of chances to be resilient and have good talks in there, but it was definitely a change and something that got longer and longer you know I know I think all of us kind of expected this to be a two-week thing at one point you know and here we are a year later still figuring out putting our toes in the water and making sure that it's it's okay so you know, it's it's been a lot ups and downs um once gym started opening up and once I was able to start working towards my career goals again I I definitely felt an appreciation for it. And um, I felt really good about moving again and having uh, some of those things still not completely normal, but at least something to have as an outlet and something to have to look forward to every day to go do that was hard or creative or whatever. Um, but it was uh, very tricky at times. So I'm, I'm happy we're coming around and everyone's starting to, you know, level out. Thanks, Kat. Yeah. How about you, Veronica? How are you doing? You tell us about how this time's been for you. Um, I feel like I I have similar feelings to what Kat was saying in the beginning. I'm I'm an introvert, so the whole time, this whole lockdown, I didn't mind one bit. Um, it actually allowed me more time to kind of do the inner work that I've been longing to do and I haven't been able to do because of, of work. Um and so, but I will say that in the beginning, like I think in the first week or two that we went officially on lockdown, I was sick. I got sick with COVID. Um, so like the entire month of March into mid-April was like a blur to me. Um, and I was living with three other roommates and I was, I was in quarantine, isolated in my room. Um, and we had like a whole system so they were like, I come and drop something for me in the hallway. We'd wait a couple, you know, minutes. They would leave. I'd come out and get get it with what little energy I had. I was I was literally bed uh, ridden for like two weeks. I never went to the hospital um, because this was at the beginning. It was also like the scariest time to go to the hospital. My mine from I'm from LA, so and I'm in New York, you know. So I'm like, I don't even have like like real family or even like close enough friends. Um, but I think during that time while I was sick, I was like, you know, it was just one of those things where I like, I didn't know, I wasn't sure. Um, and I think when I came out of it, I really, I was inspired more so because of like processing this new normal. And I'm an, you know, I'm a model, I'm a public figure, I'm out I'm on social media. And so I kind of like just, got busy and I started creating spaces, virtual 
spaces uh, for me and my peers or anyone who's just experiencing like, you know, like going through it by themselves. Like we were trying to like provide like a kind of like a community group weekly. And we did a series called Healing Together. So I personally, when I get asked about it, I feel like this is like the best year for me and my personal growth. Um, and I think that I got lucky because <laughs> it really like slowed me down in my career and like allowed me to focus on things that was really important to me. Um, so yeah, like I see like a, everything, you know, I, I, I lost a brother. I, I lost so many family members, but I, I, there's a lot of beauty in tragedy. Um, and so I'm kind of like, just trying to kind of move, <laughs> move with that spirit. <laughs> Thanks, Veronica. Uh, how about you, Daya? Dia, yeah. Uh, so, no worries. Uh, so, I, you know, I definitely have mixed emotions. Let's see. I gained weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely ate my emotions for a while. Um, and, you know, being in the house like this um, with my husband, you know, that's been challenging. Just moments like this, you know, like being on Zoom and being interrupted and, you know, trying to have serious conversations. I think it's one of those things where you can't, you can't take yourself as seriously and you've got to just remember what matters the most. So I, I don't think I experienced any depression, but I will say that um, I'm, I've been going through perimenopause. And if you know anything about that, it makes you highly irritated. <laughs> Um, your body is changing, you know, you're just changing, you know, you're going into a different phase of life. And so I think that coupled with COVID um, has been challenging and, um, and just really learning to embrace where I am now. And I think just in general, that's a good life, you know, teaching moment, like be where you are versus where you think you should be. And really my saving grace has been uh, long walks and candles aromatherapy uh can't live without it uh at least i don't want to and then just getting outside and walking i happen to live near a park and it, it makes a big difference for me i'm an only child and while you know i'm probably categorically a, an extrovert i find that in this season in my life i'm becoming more and more of an introvert i enjoy my alone time i find it to be sacred and so taking those long walks to um, just get in touch with myself, my spirit, my mindset, calm down, all those things. Um, step away from the computer, definitely have, you know, computer fatigue and all that. Um, and just, you know, really over being sedentary. And so, you know, I'm ready to get my body back, you know, really mindful about my mind more than ever, especially when you start to see that things get under your skin differently or your reactions are different, then it's like, okay, what's going on? And finding those moments of, you know, what works for me. Um, and in this case, you know, nature and the park and just kind of, you know, I don't want to be close to anybody. So I think for a while I was a little bit of a germaphobe, uh, which I've never been, but finding those ways to get outside, not, you know, not overdo it in terms of, of the closeness, even going to restaurants, sitting outside, um, those things give me joy. And um, so, yeah, so I think I'm good, but I'm also very aware and, I, and I'm aware of triggers and that I'm more sensitive to triggers as a result of life changing in the way that it has, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thanks, yeah. Um, I'm curious, what's, what's your favorite candle scent? Ooh, right now, my favorite candle scent is, um, I think it's called Palo Sano, Palo Sano. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's very earthy. I like, um, I like woodsy smells. I like more masculine smells. Um, I really love uh, patchouli, things like that. Do you burn like real Palo Santo? No, but do tell. That's it's amazing it's yeah 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 it, it cleans the air energy that's probably why you like it so much mm -hmm. <laughs> wonderful um well uh dr rodriguez we had a question for you about um what do the statistics tell us about the changes in the public's mental health over the past year yeah um 
so thankfully we're we're starting to get more and more um data to kind of give us an idea of um of what trends are looking like across the country and and um obviously it's hard to capture all the different um people groups and nuances and in, in such a diverse um body of people but um recent study from the cdc put out um in late august indicated that um amongst about 5400 participants that responded um 40.9 percent of them reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health condition um, within the past six months as a result of um, pandemic fatigue, stress about COVID-19, um, with specifically our BIPOC communities being um, disproportionately represented in those numbers um, across the board. Um, um, Black and Latinx groups were reporting higher rates of anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, um, substance use disorders, um, either uh, worsening or starting a substance use um, habit during this time period. Um, so we're, we're just kind of seeing that uh, it's really it's really hitting us hard. Um, the and having a, an adverse effect on our mental health um, in lots of different ways. How to Providence, have you noticed just in your day-to-day -day clinical work, um, if there's been a change in patients' mental health needs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in my own clinic, uh, we've seen a significant increase in the utilization of behavioral health services. So um, so traditionally, my, my primary care clinic is um, is kind of a medium-sized clinic. And traditionally we've operated with one full-time behavioral health provider and, and two um, trainees that, that are supervised by the licensed psychologist. Um, and, and we're seeing more referrals than ever, um, more referrals from our, from our physicians related to, to, to concerns of anxiety, depression, um, substance use, adjustment disorders, kind of a wide range. Um, many of them, um, related to complaints of isolation, loneliness, um, just lack of ability to cope with, with the stressors that they're dealing with. Just a lot of the things that, that have been said already today is that um, people had, had been operating and, and probably had a certain amount of stress in their life and then add in this global pandemic along with, um, with just kind of the, the social upheaval of the past year and take away their ability to cope. And this is kind of what we see is just people um, people needing more um, more support and services. And it's definitely been reflected in, in my work at Providence. Thank you. So I um, wanted to shift to talk a little bit about how mental health is um, impacting our families and communities. So I wanted to start with you, Dia. Uh, what are some of the things that you were unable to do in your life that you used to do, and how does that affect your mental well-being? I'm really glad that you asked that question. Um, and let me let me um, say it like this: So I have a podcast called Superpower Her, and so I I tend to have conversations with women who women of power or with powerful stories. And lately, I've been interviewing a lot of therapists. And one really good gem that I, I got that speaks to your question is about grief. And I learned that you can grieve anything. So some of the simple things that I miss, you know, are, you know, gatherings with friends, going out to eat, um, you know, think just social things really. And, but, you know, at first you feel shallow for missing those things because of the, the height of tragedy and the intensity and you know all of those things. So, so really being able to have tools and get information, sometimes just knowing that how you feel is normal helps. And so in this case, learning that you can grieve anything. It doesn't have to be that someone died. It can be that you, you know, you're grieving going shopping. It sounds shallow, but that's your truth. And so just having, you know, something to call it, you know, helps to normalize it. And then you're less judgmental about what you may be feeling. And, and then you, it gives you a little, it gives you a tool to know what to do with it. Okay. This is normal. I don't have to judge myself. It's okay to miss these things. Um, and at the same time, it's also taught me 
to appreciate and realize some of the things that I thought I had to have, some of the people I thought I should be around. I don't, and I'm better for it. I, I'm less in, engaged on social media because it just didn't serve my spirit well, even though I use it for, for business and socially. You know, I, I gave myself permission to not do things that didn't feel good for me because maybe it caused anxiety or maybe it made you miss some things that you used to be able to do. Um, so, you know, this, this season has allowed me to check in with myself, um, really identify, you know, what's going on and miss some things, but also realize there are some things I don't really need and I don't miss as much. And, you know, there are just some unnecessary expectations, even socially, that I would put on myself that I really don't plan to pressure myself about. If I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. If it feels right, I'll do it. If it doesn't, I won't. And really making sure that it's serving me well and serving my spirit well versus just feeling like these are things that I should be doing because I'm going to miss out. Like, you know, FOMO, you know, like no FOMO here, you know, uh, in this case, I, you know, no more fear of missing out. You know, COVID has totally cured me of that. <laughs> Well, thank you. There's definitely been a, a fair amount of silver linings in my life as well, and uh, it's important to reflect on those. Um, so, Veronica, I, I know your work in advocacy is really important to you. Um, how has that been affected during this pandemic, and what sorts of changes have you had to make? Um, it actually didn't affect it at all. Um, there was so much that was happening throughout this whole year, especially with George Floyd. Um, it really required me to have to get back into, um, you know, in, into the advocacy work and get more creative with how we build um, using the social channels. I think that in a lot of ways we have to reimagine what community building looks like and what happens when you really do use the internet in your favor to connect people from all different parts of the world, especially me being um, from the South Pacific. Uh, it really required me to figure out how I can be more present for my own community um, and learning how to be more in solidarity um, with everything that was, was happening in the world um, and to the Black community. So it actually wasn't affected at all. It actually really put me back into alignment with a lot of um, the core and how I started before I even got into modeling. So it was perfect timing, literally. <laughs> it was not not that the situations happened, but just the timing of it all. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do the advocacy work if I was still working as a model. Um, I find myself even now that things are starting to slowly go back to normal that I'm having a little difficulty trying to balance the two, but um, I'm trying. <laughs> and yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it was affected at all. It actually just propelled the, the work and um, the priority of the work <laughs> as well. Thank you for sharing those positives. Um, so Kat, how has the pandemic uh, impacted your career and your training? Um, it was very different and it was, I, I did take a, a fight, I had a competition in September um, where my, and, and it was the, it was a, I mean, it, I, it was crazy. I thought um, I'm very, very particular and um, like ritualistic with my training. Like everything needs to go a certain way. I eat at certain times of the day. I have like, I stay on a schedule. I stick to it. I don't move from it. Or those are things that I think about when I'm walking into the cage. I'm like, oh man, did I cut a corner here? Did I go hard enough that day? Or did I have the right training partners? Did I eat right? Did I, you know, do all of these things? I have these this kind of perfectionist uh, uh, boxes that I have to check before I feel confident going into these things, let alone the nerves and everything that already goes into it because you're fighting other people that are trying to win also. Um, camp was completely different. Normally I have a ton of training partners and um, I go to a facility and I get a lot of different looks at a lot of different people, which gives me so many opportunities to problem solve. Um, with this, I had to 
stick with um, a facility with one or two people the whole time and the people that could be around me that um, couldn't, you know, that were also kind of uh, hermiting down for sure, you know, that I could count on the fact that they're not going to be in around people because if I in fact tested positive, um, not only was it, you know, I, I didn't want to be responsible. I feel like I would have been okay, but I didn't want to potentially be around people that would not have been okay. And on top of that, if I did test positive and I show up to my fight that way, um, I get sent home. So all of that work would have been for nothing. And uh, it's, that's how I make a living. That's how I, I take care of me and my son. So um, having totally different training camp, um, less training partners, you, you don't get, there's no one in the crowd. You don't hear the sounds, which I also liked because it was, you know, it, sometimes the crowd can be crazy at these things. So it was really actually nice to fight in the quiet but um, being quarantined when you get there and having to figure out how you're gonna lose the weight from your hotel room versus going to a sauna or being able to go run. Um, uh, lifting weights was, um, you know, at times giant five gallon jugs in my living room on a carpet floor, which I don't know if you guys like sweating on carpet, but I think it's pretty disgusting. Uh, and um, yeah, it was, it was totally crazy and, and actually getting to the competition getting to the fight I was very happy to see so many other fighters that had done it before me and I'm like there's going to be a before which is what I'm experiencing right now and then there's going to be an after where I'm going to know what it's like and I'll be able to calm down but right now this is uncharted for me and everything that needs to go this certain way that it always needs to go is definitely not going that way and it, it, I'm, I'm happy because it showed me no matter how nervous I got, no matter how out of control of sorts that I felt that like just keeping putting one foot in front of the other and remaining curious about which, what each day is going to offer. And like, everybody's doing the best with what they have, you know, and that's, that's it. Like period, hard stop. That's it. Like, there's nothing you can do. Everyone's got the same problem as nervous as I was getting, or as like, dysfunctional as some of these days felt I knew my opponents felt the same way they were going through the same thing they were having to figure out how to work out in a living room with their couch instead of training partners too so it was very um like I don't know I guess we'll see I guess we'll see every day it was like I guess we'll see you know and and it, my fight turned out okay I definitely felt strange and weird going into it and it was so different but like I came out on the other side and I get a look back, it was like, okay, well, actually I got to learn a lot about myself. So there's a win there. And no matter how that fight would have gone, it wasn't my favorite. I did get the win, but no matter how that fight would have gone, like that was out of my comfort zone and out of my control. And it, it was still such a good thing to get through and see, um, see just that patience you have to have with yourself and with the world. Like there's nothing you can do. You, if I want to, if I want to get that paycheck and I want to continue working towards my goals, like this part has to be uncomfortable right now. And that's it period. There's nothing else to do about it except live uncomfortably and, and show yourself later what it was all about. You know, resilience is all about. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so I also wanted to ask, you mentioned you have a son. What about at home? Um, uh, my daughter's upstairs right now in her virtual classroom. <laughs> um, I was just wondering um, how you guys are doing um, with school at home. We're good. I like at first it was a little, it was kind of crazy. Like we're not used to just having our kids home all day. And when they're bored and they're like, mom, 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 I'm bored, mom, mom. I'm like, you're like, these are usually hours I have that you're at school and I'm at home and I get to train. And now I got to figure out like what, you know, so at first it was, I just felt like, you know, it's like, it's awkward roommates, you know, almost. Um, then we got into some great conversations, like stuff that I don't know that we would have had because we just didn't have the time like it's not even not have the time but you don't even know you need to make the time because life is just on such a cycle like these days you have this sport these this other days I have training this day 
you know, we know you do your homework. And then these days we try to have your friends over, or we try to do something active, or we try to, you know, like you fill up those days with so much that you don't always stop to sit and like think to get to ask each other all these questions, you know? And so we had some great communication and I got like, I felt so much closer to my kid. Um, we found a way through one of my gyms, especially because he's a freshman and he's a boy and just like was nervous. He's always been um, kind of short. He's always been little uh, compared to the other kids. I started him, uh, he, he has a July birthday. So it was either start him late in school or start him young in school. So I started him young and that made for him to be a little smaller than everybody and just develop a little slower. And this summer he wanted to lift weights and get ready for his freshman year. And so I could like connect with him over that. Cause I'm like, I lift weights. I can help you lift weights. And he wanted to get buff and he wanted to like work on muscles and wanted to, you know, do all of that. And there was like a big letdown for him to do all of that work the whole summer and, and school just not start. And all the sports didn't start either, but from January last year to January this year, he put on five, inches in height and 33 pounds in weight and it's like I swear it's all the sleep and it's all the food and it's all the rest and just like he just his body just got to do its thing you know and it, it wasn't um like that's a huge deal and he's like pumped like he's proud of himself he likes his muscles he likes his height like he's taller than me he can pick me up I don't know if you guys remember like I don't know if you ever tried to pick your mom up but if you ever did I'm sure it was a big deal and like <laughs> he's pumped you know and and like that part between us was really good I I think I'm curious what this if there's going to be a social awkwardness as far as going back to school like for us it's a year out of our lives but for, to a teenager that's a percentage you know that's a percentage of their life that they're stuck at home without talking to other kids and a lot of their socializing was video games and they are not nice to each other on there it is it's not cool like these kids they're mean and they're frustrated like that doesn't feel happy interactions that's only competitive and, and it's there's no accountability to what they're saying and doing so I'm excited for him to get around kids again and to you know, do whatever he does with all he worked on. But I, I am curious what this generation of kids is going to, how this affects, if it does affect them differently and what that ends up looking like. Well, I'm glad that you two are, are closer. Um, I'm yeah. noticing the same thing with my kids. Um, it's certainly the first few months were really crazy, but um, mm -hmm. lately I'm um, imagining that I'm going to be really missing my daughter when she goes back to school soon. So, um, so Dr. Rodriguez, um, how does prolonged living with the kind of stress and trauma brought on by the pandemic affect people over the long term? Sorry, I was on mute there for a moment. Um, so, well, I'll try to make this as brief as possible because there are so many ways that prolonged stress and trauma affect us. Um, so essentially, like, essentially when we're under stress, our body releases a hormone called cortisol, um, which functions as, uh, which has been dubbed the stress hormone. Um, and it, it interacts with a number of different cycles in our body um, to give us energy and to kind of keep us going. But when that's constantly on, um, that becomes a problem. So like it affects our immune system. So not able to fight off um, just normal infections or, or germs as, as well as we normally would. Um, it also increases, like it interacts with other hormones in the body, which increase our likelihood of developing like chronic health conditions like diabetes um, or hypertension um gastrointestinal issues so it'll interfere with like if you have ibs or other issues like that and you'll you'll notice um those symptoms intensifying uh obviously our nervous system is it goes haywire too we feel more of that anxiety more of that physical um agitation um and then with trauma we we see like the uh the fight or flight system activating or the fight flight or freeze act system activating um so our body is producing these large amounts of adrenaline. So our heart is pumping. We're feeling these, these feelings of dread and impending doom. Um, 
like flop sweating, you know, chills, heat, all this because our body thinks that we're in imminent danger, even though we may not be at that moment, um, we're, we're feeling it. And it makes it really hard to be able to function when we're operating under like all these different, um, all these different systems that our, that our body is putting into play um, when it's really inconvenient to do so. Like if, if you're if ever been um, like on a Zoom meeting and trying to pay attention for work, but, but it's hard to concentrate. That's because of all these different, um, all these different systems are firing and, and you just don't have the capacity to, to function like you normally would. Um, even things like, uh, like libido are affected. Um, so like, so arousal or uh, ability to, to get pregnant, all those things are affected by, by chronic stress and trauma. So um, a lot of these overlap with, um, with like, not just COVID-19, but also the experiences of, a, of historically marginalized groups in, in, in the United States. Um, so there's a lot of like a lot of interchange here. So a lot of these are compounding the, the already existing um, issues that have been present. And so um, we're just, we're just kind of seeing it on a bigger scale than, than we have in a long time. Josh, can I, can I um, respond to what um, Dr. Rodriguez was saying? Because I'm really, everything you said was phenomenal. And I'm really glad that you did. Because I think one of the things that came out of this crisis is really looking at the holistic impact mm -hmm. that mind, body, um, and spirit have, um, as well as connecting it to the social um, injustices. Um, and, and, and so just really being able to see how one thing is not, not a silo, one, it all connects. And you know, this situation has um, exposed a lot of that, I think from um, a socioeconomic perspective, from a mental health and physical health perspective. Um, and so just, you know, holistically, you know, no longer can we just look at things um, alone. No longer can we really just put things in a category and judge it just based on what's happening. There, there, there are causes and effects, there are reasons. And I think it's opened us up more. I know even many medical doctors are already on that journey of not just looking at how to um, treat patients from from a from a, um, a medication perspective but really looking at you know going deeper and how all these things are connected and now they're also having to um, you know address that you know what's happening in your in your brain can be impacting your heart um, or vice versa um, all of these things are connected and so um, you know that's the gift you know to your point that Veronica like I said, sometimes, you know, there's beauty and tragedy. And if it reveals, you know, how we can do life better, you know, even from an environmental perspective, knowing, realizing that we need the environment, uh, we need to be outside more, we need, we need, the, we need sunlight, like, and how sunlight does affect your mood, like all of those things, people who would not normally um, pay attention to those things, because we're just too busy, or, you know, there's no reason to even seek the information, I think now um, we're able to, to look at ourselves and life and our approach to life and others differently from a holistic perspective. Thanks, Dia. Thank, thank you for that, Dia. Can I just say something real quick, Josh? Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for that, Dia. That's so important. Um, and I think that um, in my own training and, and, my, and I hope as, as as I supervise other students that are coming up and across the country that um, we really are aware of what, what we call the biopsychosocial and then add in spiritual model is of, of health, recognizing that these are all aspects of, of people. So there's not only the biology, the, the part that, that is going on with the person physically, but there's also the psychological, there's the socioeconomical and the spirituality piece too, whatever someone's spiritual journey may be, all of those things are interacting to, um, to either help the person function as well as possible. But if there's something out of balance, then, um, then that tends to have ripple effects across the other ones as well. So it's so important that, um, that not just in behavioral health, but also in physical health, that, that, we're, that we're working towards recognizing people as a whole person. So I wanted to <clears throat> shift gears a little bit. Speaking of health, um, talk a little bit about the COVID vaccine, um, which 
sort of being heralded as the light at the end of the tunnel, but then it's also been causing some stress for, for folks as well. Um, so I wanted to start with you, Kat. Uh, what are you hearing from others about getting the vaccine when it's available to them? And what's giving them hope or causing concern? Oh, man, it, it's crazy, like, that it's become so political. And like, I understand why, um, uh, as far as decisions and people doing, you know, what they want and what they feel appropriate is for their own body. So I've felt on the fence a, a ton, you know, because like everybody else, I want to be part of a solution. Like, I want to see like what I can do to contribute to how this whole thing ends. But um, I also have a really hard time wanting to do something that is not been tested for very long. Um, one, so on a personal scale, um, last year, like, I, well, I guess a year and a half ago now, um, I had a breast explant surgery because I had, um, I had an allergic reaction to these implants that I had, and I've, I'd had them since 2010, and I had no idea what was wrong with me for all of these years. So sick all the time, allergic to every food, like um, constantly sore, inflammation, depression, anxiety, like all of this. And I'm going to the Mayo Clinic and dropping $20,000 out of pocket to have them do everything on me from head injuries to like infections to dairy you know what I mean like anything and, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me my why my whole endocrine system is messed up and I finally stumbled on somebody that literally had all these same symptoms but she had figured it out and had taken out her implants and I was just like I, I have to know like I have to know if that's what it is that's probably the last thing I haven't tried and I did and I got them out and like everything's normal everything's better and it took a year, you know, of my body detoxing. And of course that part wasn't fun, but like all my blood work is normal. I, I'm, I'm happier, I'm healthier. Like I don't, it's hard cause sometimes I don't even remember how bad I felt cause of all the things I can eat now too, you know, like it's crazy. Um, that being said, um, I'm very scared and hesitant to go into putting another thing that's this time, you know, you can't remove it from your body, you know, and if, if I do have a reaction or if I am not as healed as, as, um, I feel and, and look to be, um, what is a bad COVID experience, COVID vaccine experience going to do to me? Um, my sister just got the vaccination two weeks ago and her face is still numb and droopy on one side. She's, she got Bell's palsy and, um, that's, that's tricky for me because it, it hasn't gone away yet. And I'm told that it can go away, but the fact that it hasn't is, you know, obviously concerning. Um, I know, I, I think it's debatable um, what happened to that professional boxer. I know that some people were saying it was uh, rather coincidental that he passed away right after getting the COVID vaccine. Um, but then, you know, there's the other side where people are saying it could have been um, prior health uh, with his heart. So I guess the moral of my opinion is that I want to, again, be part of the solution. But I think personally, especially being the only parent to my son and knowing I need to be good and present for him is I think I will wait and maintain staying away from people that I could negatively impact. Um, and uh, just let everything get figured out a bit more. I think it's amazing. More people are getting vaccinated, which should make it less of a big deal if I am or not, because if you are successfully vaccinated, then I can't, I can't, I mean, in theory, I can't do anything to you, but also I'll still want to be careful, but I, I, I just need to see more time go by and more research and, and um, just, more consistent results that are a bit more predictable um, before I can make a real educated answer or even a real educated statement because I want to respect everyone in saying I don't know enough like I'm 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 uneducated on how all of this is going and I would like I would like more information. So Dr. Rodriguez, um, you're a caregiver working within a large hospital system. I know you work in a clinic. 
um, as well. Do you generally think of the vaccine as a beacon of hope for others? Um, I do. Um, I see. I see it as a beacon of hope in. Um, as like I, I mentioned, I do work in a in a clinic, but then I also work um, very closely to to providers. We have an, an immediate urgent care in our clinic. Ten minutes down the road is um, is a hospital with the emergency department, um, and then twenty minutes the other direction is another large hospital in the region. And and um, just how at capacity our hospitals have been, um, you know, has been has been tragic and alarming. Um, I mean, I now, I now have countless stories of, of patients coming to me for grief, um, for, for grief therapy treatment, essentially, because they have lost a loved one to COVID-19. And I think that, um, and I think that personally, and many of my colleagues would agree that, that um, especially the people that are at high, highest risk, um, my patients that are immunocompromised or 65 and older, um, if them getting vaccinated in particular, um, more of our providers being able to, to, to get the vaccine as well, to, to limit our risk of passing on anything to our, to our patients, um, very much is hopeful. And I think that, that um, I, I keep hearing from patients, and this, of course, this is anecdotal, but I keep hearing from patients like, well, it's, you know, 2021 started rough, but, you know, we're kind of getting back on track. I think people, like with the change in the seasons and then also with news of the vaccine becoming more widespread, I think people are starting to um, feel a bit more hopeful. And, and I hope that that continues to be, be the case. Great. Um, so how about you, Veronica? Are there people in your large family that you haven't been able to see over the past year? And how's that been for all of you? Um, I've actually had multiple funerals throughout the entire year. And so I actually, like three of them, I actually flew back to California for because they were family members that I was really, really close to. Um, and then I've also had a lot of family members overseas um, pass away as well. So um, I actually, like, I, I definitely got on that plane. <laughs> you know, I went to go be with my family and be with my parents. So um, I, it, it was kind of crazy because of the year, the year that we had, it was actually the most times that I had ever traveled home throughout the year. So again, it's like that bittersweet moment. It brings everyone together, but it's unfortunate why we're together. So. Sorry, you've lost so many people this year. So are there varying feelings amongst your family regarding the vaccines? Um, I actually think that my parents are scheduled to take it in the next two weeks, which I'm completely fine with because they both have underlying um, conditions. My dad is a cancer survivor. And so um, I think it's something that I, I would definitely encourage and like amongst the, the elders in my family. Um, I, I don't think that they're opposed to it. Okay. Um, how about you, Dia? What are some of the feelings you've had on both sides of the coin about getting the vaccine? My mom um, and stepdad have both been uh, vaccinated. And um, so she's going through the, um, some of the symptoms that you get now. So we talked yesterday and she wasn't feeling that well. Um, I think she took a nap and you know later on in the day she felt better so um but you know you, you know you you get that information so you know what kind of what to expect so i've certainly you know both colleagues and family members who have been tested i haven't yet um, most of them have experienced some um, a little bit of illness afterwards um but then recovered i definitely am of the mindset that i want to wait and see not that I won't do it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna do it. My only approach is, is, has been, I don't necessarily wanna be one of the first. <laughs> Let me just kind of see. 
uh, I'm going to do it, <laughs> but let me just watch a little bit. You know, let me see. Uh, you know, I know we don't have enough information. I don't want to be irresponsible. Um, and certainly to, uh, you know, in some situations, you know, it might be end up being mandated, you know, to go into certain places or work or whatever. So you want to be able to function, you know, as much as possible. And of course, you want to be healthy and safe. Um, but I do think the need for, you know, a continued campaign and, and, and really speaking to some of the concerns and theories and misconceptions that people have, um, it's going to take time to get people comfortable. So as important as it is, as much as people want to get back to normal, I think we, you know, as a society, we have to be mindful again, what we talked about earlier, there's not one reason why somebody would or would not do it. There are several. There's, there are historical reasons. There are societal reasons. There are, you know, there are mindset, all of that, you know. And so I think we just need to speak to, you know, the medical community in particular needs to speak to those things and address those things versus just telling people what they need to do. Um, you know, you've got to know people's why. And then, you know, it's not, it's not about what you're selling, it's about what people are buying, right? So what do people believe? What do they understand? And so I'm, I'm right there in the middle. I get it. Intellectually, I get it. You know, emotionally, historically, you're kind of like, eh, you know. <laughs> and guess what? I just don't want to feel bad. Like, I don't, like, who wants to feel, you know, nauseous and all those things? But I do believe that the good outweighs the bad. And I give myself permission to have different thoughts about it. Um, and ultimately, I trust that I'm going to be responsible and make a healthy decision for myself, my family, and my community. Thank you. Um, Josh, can I add something? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just want to add to, to what I said earlier and that um, while I see it as a beacon of hope, there's so like nuance is the name of the game. I think, um, you know, rarely are things black or white in, in life. Um, and I, that's that's something that I work on with my patients all the time. Is that that it's not all or nothing. Um, there's there's usually an in between, and um, and I think that that there's going to be people that fall on like on the side of the spectrum that um, I'll probably get it, but I have real concerns, and that's valid as well. And then people are saying like I probably won't get it, but it's good that other people are, um, and and those are very real valid opinions. Um, and, and it is important for, for the medical community to touch on history because unfortunately, um, medical systems have a pretty, pretty checkered past of, of mistreating particular groups. I mean, you name the, the Tuskegee syphilis studies for one and, and um, forced sterilizations of, of, um, of women in, in the late 70s and 80s. And um, so I think it, it it puts the the onus on us as a, and I count myself as part of the medical community because I'm part of a large medical system to educate, to provide information, to have discussions like this, um, recognizing where people may fall on, on the spectrum um, and really, um, really recognizing that instead of, um, instead of just bowling over or ignoring those concerns. Um, I think that that ability to, to sit and listen to someone's someone's story, someone's concern, um, someone's context is is going to be very important throughout this whole process. So, I have a question. Um, how do you feel about what people are saying? How the government cannot be held responsible if anything does happen with the vaccine? Like, I want to know what do people like you in the medical field feel about that? And how do you advise patients? Like basically this something, it's not mandatory yet, although it is mandatory in certain parts of the world. And you can still have the free will to choose, but just be alarmed that if you don't do this, this could happen. Oh, and also you can't blame us if something does happen to you. Like how, to me, that doesn't make sense. So I just want to know, like, how do you people like you feel and you guys are actual, the actual practitioners, you guys are in the field advising us, the public? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so 
I think um, the most important thing with situations like that is um, is informed consent, which is is just um, from the get go, making sure that that people have all the information that there is available, not hiding anything. It's the same thing when I when I work with when I enter into um, treatment with someone. I say like this is um, this is kind of the like the role that I play. This is what I do. Um, I protect your confidentiality, confidentiality or privacy. But if you tell me, um, if you tell me about like you're going to harm yourself or someone else, or there's abuse happening to a protected population, that I have to, I have to report that. I, I see that kind of as the same way is like laying out the framework so that they know they have the information, um, and they choose to proceed with with working with me. Um, as for like um, for with the the vaccine in particular. Um, I have my own like um, like I have my own like just kind of going back and forth about about that is that just kind of the the um, like statements of, of not being able to to hold somebody accountable for it um, and um, and that's just something that, that I and other professionals have been wrestling with on our own I, I wish I had a better answer for you like as far as that um, but I think that that in absence of being able to have have an influence over that in particular, I, I think that just information um, and education and just all the facts available at the get go are going to be important for whoever is making the decision to to get the vaccine for themselves. Yeah, I like what you said about informed consent. That's really key. Um, I actually um, work. I'm on the medical staff of one of our hospitals and so had the opportunity to get the vaccine like the first week and they weren't forcing us but it was like your number's up take it now if, if you want it and um and so I remember waiting in line with all of these providers who had been really on the front lines I ran into an ICU doctor that I know well and um he was working to get all of his docs vaccinated and for that group it really was a beacon of hope but also seeing how tired people were um and um my experience so far with it was i got a little sick after the second shot got a day off in bed um but otherwise i've been okay just for what it's worth being a guinea pig but um so uh we're needing to uh, wrap up but i just wanted to see if anybody had any last thoughts this has been a really meaningful discussion i want to thank all of you for participating um but any last thoughts i would just say um you know, thank you also, Josh, for your transparency, um, as well as you, Dr. Rodriguez, because I think it's those kinds of things that will help people to trust the process a little bit more, like when you're not being dogmatic and you're and you're able to say, listen, I've had some thoughts or some feelings, or yes, I did get sick, but like just prepare people for what to expect. Um, and also, you know, to the degree that you can share your own journey um, where you're comfortable, I think helps people and it helps people trust also the information that you're, you're sharing because you're not just, you know, um, going by the script, if you will, um, but you're being responsible as a human first and also as a professional. So I think that's helpful and just more of those kinds of stories, um, the full spectrum will help us all be more educated, um, and make informed decisions that way as well. Uh, yes, I'd also like to say thank you as well. It's been a pleasure of mine to be here in the space and be able to learn and figure out how I can reframe my message as like one of these young books in the generation who is influential, whatever little I may know. But I appreciate you guys for all you guys <laughs> offered and the value in this conversation as well. Yeah, same. I think. Um... I think it's nice that you guys are looking at it objectively and letting people have doubts and letting, um, you know, opening up dialogue for it to, to be a fair and safe conversation. And because and, um, right now it, there's a lot of walking on eggshells going on in, in communities because we're a lot of times being led by the media, which you can't fully be sure if you're supposed to be trusting. Um, we haven't been able to really connect and be around our, our close family and people that we normally rely on and talk to. I mean, other than, you know, Zooms and FaceTimes and things like that. So, um, you know, to be able to share fears and experiences and stories and, um, 
you know, have that be okay and have it be normal um, is, I think, is going to make people feel a lot more safe in getting educated because it's not just getting shot done and shot down and told you're wrong, I'm right, or I'm, you know, wrong, you're right, whatever. So I think that's healthy and, and good steps towards, uh, you know, making a comfortable future for people. So thank you, too. Thank you. And thank, thank all of you. Um, and thank you, Josh, for, um, for facilitating. And thank you, um, Veronica, Dia, and Kat, um, just kind of hearing each of your stories and your perspectives. Um, and, and yeah, I, I know that, that even as a, as a provider, my perspective is limited. And you three have, have platforms and, and are working with people directly in, in different ways. And, and, um, and I feel like I, I've learned a lot from each of you today. Um, and, and that's, I mean, hearing people's stories, like learning is kind of, is a big part of what I want to do and, and, um, and building bridges and, and helping people have the information they need to, to be able to make healthy decisions, healthy changes in their life. So, um, so thank you all for your time today. All right, well, that uh, is the end of our time. Thank you all so much. This was a really meaningful conversation and I look forward to uh, seeing where it goes. Thank you for joining us today on Culture of Health from Providence. We look forward to continuing this important discussion on healthcare in today's changing culture and future episodes. Make sure to listen to future podcasts on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health System. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening.